Extraordinary Terrestrials, Chapter 48, Epilogues. The Hadlocks sat down to breakfast together that next morning, as they did whenever they had the time to. This morning, they sat in contemplative silence. Bud gnawed on his toast and couldn't stop thinking of the day before, the many things he had done that were against the rules. Not once had he felt he was doing something that was wrong. It was strange. He thought of his mother always getting in trouble for breaking the rules, or so he'd heard. Had she felt she was doing wrong? Hazel cut into an over-easy egg, disregarding the ever-present threat of high cholesterol. She pondered the young lady she'd nearly stopped from breaking Karen Laurent out of the hospital. When she looked into Maddie's eyes, Hazel had seen her own little Mary from long ago age nine, determined to rescue a baby bird from a cold spring morning. So tender, yet righteous. Hazel hadn't stopped Maddie because she saw that Maddie knew she was doing the right thing. Phil swilled down his orange juice and thought upon the young man he'd nearly apprehended for impersonating a hospital patient and causing a wild goose chase. When he'd looked into Tripp's eyes, Phil had seen a 13-year-old Mary, not shedding a single tear but desperate to elude the bullies that had chased her home after she'd stood up for someone small. So independent, so intent on handling things her own way. Phil hadn't stopped Tripp because he saw that Tripp had fought enough battles for one day. One lifetime. The two grandparents looked upon their brilliant little grandson and were filled with both love and sadness, for in his brilliance they could see where they had gone wrong with Mary, where they had stood in her way. Entirely unaware of their synchronized thoughts, the three wondered where their fourth missing family member was that day, what she was doing, what she was thinking. The doorbell rang. Hazel stood. Bud did not look up, feeling his grandfather's eyes on him. It was obvious Gramps and Nana knew something, but they weren't saying anything. Bud? Nana called from the front door. Yeah, he hollered back, still not looking up. Now he was scared. Maybe Gramps had called in reinforcements. Maybe he'd be arrested. Maybe Karen Laurent was wrong about him being immune to the law because he was a minor. There's someone here to see you. I think you owe her a thank you, Nana elaborated. Bud rose to his feet, confused. When he got to the door, he realized there was only one kind of visitor worse than the police. Marla Holstein, quiet, judgmental Marla, was standing in his doorway, staring at him like she always did. She had his bicycle propped in her hands. Bud resisted the urge to snatch the handlebars away from her and speed off. 
Where did you find it? Nana was asking. Um, I, um, I found it outside the coffee shop. The lady, she just left it lying there. I saw it all happen because I thought it was a parade. Hi, Bud, Marla stammered. Hi, Bud replied. He tried to remember if he'd ever heard her speak before. She was strange. You know each other? Nana asked. How do you know where I live? Bud asked. Bud, don't you think it was nice of, um... Marla. Marla, yes, don't you think it was nice of Marla to bring your bike back to you? Nana prompted. Thank you, Bud said coldly, wanting this to be over as soon as possible. But Marla did not make a move to give his bike back. She shifted uncomfortably for a second or two. I, um, I passed by here on the way to my dad's, she said. I saw the police car in the driveway and I knew who your grandfather was because... And I've, I've seen you riding around on your bike, so I figured you must be, um... That's why I just... That's why I know where you live. My mom doesn't let me ride my bike alone. Not because she's worried about kidnappers, but because she says I'm too nosy and I make people uncomfortable. My, my, my dad doesn't care, though. I stay with him on weekends. My grandparents say I'm nosy, too, Bud stated, before realizing he shouldn't. Nana laughed. Well, I've never said those exact words, Bud, she said. Bud sensed Gramps' footsteps vibrating down the hall behind him. Who's this? He peered down past Bud and spotted Marla. Bud noticed recognition in Gramps' raised eyebrows. Oh, it's you. What was your name again? Though she was the tallest girl in their class, Bud noted that Marla seemed very small in that moment. Marla, she replied. Is everything, um... Gramps spotted Bud's bicycle in her hands. Does your father know where you are? He doesn't care, Bud and Marla replied in unison. Right, Gramps sighed. Have you had breakfast yet, hon? Nana asked. Bud winced, but realized it was pointless now. They were welcoming Marla into his home whether he liked it or not. What made it worse, he didn't mind as much as he ought to. "'What are you wearing?' Marla asked as they stepped inside. Bud glanced down at his velvet cape and realized she asked questions the same way Tripp did. Not a challenge, just curiosity. "'It's a cape,' he replied casually. "'I'm a hypnotist.' "'Really?' "'Sure.' Trip dreamt of the bog. It was morning, birds sang, and the air was warm and thick. A large pool of water interrupted the moss and trees. There were other things that weren't supposed to be there. Chunks of metal, covered in rust and sprawling plants. Trip realized this was the site of the explosion. The pool of water was actually a crater. It reflected the sky and the clouds. Looking into it, Trip had the all-too-familiar feeling of both fear and fascination 
the feeling of the bog, the sense of an entirely unexplored world beneath his feet. You're not too young to learn from the past, you know, an old man said. The old man. He stood beside Trip, and Trip tried again to remember who he was. He looked so familiar, the way he held his hands in his pockets, the way he smiled as if the muscles in his face were unaccustomed to the act. Who are you? Trip asked, and realized this was not the first time he'd asked the old man that question. The old man shrugged. Almost like his father used to. Not his father. Jack? Not Jack. Someone who had something to do with Jack. Someone who had something to do with Churchy. Couldn't be. I'm the past, Trip, the old man finally replied. He held a hand out to the pool. Just like those water molecules and that rusty backhoe debris, and those brain cells holding your memories. He tapped Trip's forehead with a cool finger. Someone else had done that to Trip before. Someone warm. The water rippled as a body surfaced. Trip jumped a little before realizing it was Karen. She floated on her back, lazily stroking the surface with her hands, staring into the clouds. She was almost as transparent as the water, hardly an outline. Trip heard laughter, not from Karen. It was another woman's deep voice. Hex. He would never see either woman again. The old man gave a small laugh, shaking his head. Trip looked to him, peeved that he could laugh at a time like this, but the old man knew what he was thinking. I'll tell you what I told Jack once, he said. You should know better than to take the dead for granted. The dead? Karen was dead. As good as dead, anyway. Had he helped with this? Was that wrong? The old man kept talking. They always find a way of coming back. The taste of pancakes he used to cook. The smell of her gasoline. The sight of a giant pumpkin. A pen scratching on paper. You'll find them wherever you look, whether you want to or not. Better just to let them have their way. They don't like being forgotten, the dead. Would you? No, Trip replied knowing what being forgotten feels like. So, listen when they're telling you something important. Listen when the old dead moss has a story to tell. And protect that story. Will you do that for me? Trip realized the old man's imploring had taken a personal note. His hand was on Trip's shoulder. It felt bony, frail. Protect it? The old man laughed and took staggering steps forward. His shaky legs made their way into the pool, and Trip noticed moss had been growing on his feet, up the hems of his sodden trousers. If the young and the living don't protect the earth, where do you think someone like me will rest? He called over his shoulder. 
Tripp had the impulse to follow, to wade after the man, stop him so he could ask more questions. Something literal held him back. A gentle weight on his chest, telling him to realize where he actually was. A bird he recognized let out a long, sweet whistle. Tripp gradually awoke, thinking the weight on his chest was from one of his arms falling asleep again. It took a moment to realize that he could feel both his arms, which did not explain the extra one draped over his chest. Perhaps he'd grown a third arm in his sleep. Finally, he opened his eyes and saw the arm, brown, smooth skin, with tiny gold hairs, a small hand, the sound of a nose whistling beside him. Tripp remembered and glanced at the sleeping creature at his side, her mane of curls pointing in every direction, her eyes moving under the lids. Tripp remembered. Tripp remembered that he was supposed to be at work at nine. It was 10.30. Any other day he would have pounced out of bed. Today he took his time, not wanting to wake her. see, your house is how many 1820s? Nearly 200 years old, Judy. If you're hearing noises, it's more likely to be pipes or swelling wood. Hell, it's more likely to be an actual child that has broken into your house than a ghost. What makes you so certain it's a little girl, anyway? How can you ascertain a person's gender simply from the sound of their footsteps on your stairs? Well, I don't know what you wanted to hear from me, There have been families in your house before, but as far as I know, the only mortalities were a grandmother and a newborn infant, neither of which fit the description of your so-called... I'm sorry, Judy, I meant no disrespect. I think you'll need to continue your research elsewhere. Ghosts have never been my specialty. Okay, you have a good one. Thanks. Sighing, the historian ended the long, winding, pointless call. She rubbed her eyebrows, realizing how much it had drained her. When she opened her eyes again, they fell upon the box. It was a simple cardboard box, labeled Narragansett Township PD. It had sat on her desk for over a year now, the contents in constant indecision. She'd taken everything out multiple times, mulling over every detail, only to put it all back in frustration. It was nothing like vague footsteps on a staircase. It was thousands of details, and still no sense to be made of it. Two lives, two disappearances, and no sense to be made. Well, three if you counted the husband. The husband. The historian stood, peering into the box. It had been a while since she'd last looked in there. Not since that weird kid came by asking about the journals. She shuffled yellowing papers aside and reached in, spotting what she'd been looking for. She'd almost forgot about the wallet. The leather was disintegrating after all the years. Little flecks fell onto her desk. 
Gently, she opened the wallet. The money had long since been removed and put in one of the display cases in the hall. Money was always notable history. The man's ID remained in the wallet. The historian gazed into his eyes. She shivered, remembering why she should not believe in ghosts. Kiddo! Churchy exclaimed, giving Trip a hearty slap on the back. He was pleased. This was after Trip had informed him he'd be switching to part time to pursue other interests. Perhaps this meant Churchy could hire someone more punctual. He'd miss the boy, no doubt, but it was high time the kid moved on to bigger things. God knew he had potential. Promise me you and your girlfriend will still visit every now and then, eh? Oh, we'll visit, Tripp replied, turning away. Churchy grinned. Caught him. So the boy wasn't denying it anymore. Surely Maddie wouldn't either. Maddie awoke after Trip had left, feeling restless, antsy, nervous. It was an outstanding day outside. The sky had a classic blue with perfect clouds, warm but not humid. Maddie couldn't stay still and couldn't decide what she should do. For some reason, going for a drive did not have the same allure it usually had. She decided to take a walk to Jack's cabin, just to be there. Perhaps she'd start planning the cleanup. As she strolled down Blueberry Lane with her hands in her pockets, Maddie stopped in her tracks. She'd noticed something. The sphagnum moss was growing up over the ditch, over the gravel on the side of the road, filling cracks in the asphalt. Maybe causing cracks in the asphalt. Interesting, Maddie commented. It hadn't been doing that the day before. Ordinary Terrestrials is written, read, and recorded by Miriam Rimkunis. All piano music was written and performed by Jonas Rimkunis. All public domain organ music was performed by John Rimkunis. All other music was written and performed by Miriam Rimkunis. Needless to say, all rights reserved. Tune in 
mid-October for a new and chilling series. The spring peepers heard at the beginning of this chapter were recorded in South Berwick, Maine by Freesound user Bud Gillette. A link to their recording is in the show notes. If you like what you hear, please leave ratings and reviews for Extraordinary Terrestrials on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Libsyn. To get a shout-out from Churchy, you can contribute to the podcast Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. You can also follow the podcast and tell your friends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the website, extraordinaryterrestrialspodcast.com. Lastly, thank you. Thank you, Ali, John, Peter, and Jonas from Kunis for your support, your inspiration, and your brilliant contributions to this series. Thank you, Nellie Rimkunis Nickerson, Kyle Hussey, Libby Shepard, Tony Brinkley, and Dan O'Bowman for your encouragement and advice. Thank you, Lennox and Micah, for your monthly Patreon donations. And thanks, Dad, for that too. Thank you, my anxiety, for reminding me that I'm probably forgetting several individuals who deserve my gratitude. And thank you, dear listeners. Thank you for joining me on this adventure and engaging with me. Your interest keeps this podcast alive. This story may have ended, but there are so many more to come. In the meantime, go outside!